I'm going to try to do something here this morning. I'm not very techy, but see if I can find this. And maybe one. See if I can play this. Probably not. This was. That's enough. That was that was uh, earlier this week in the city of New York, and three girls were denied free sauce. I told him it was not a dollar seventy-five for the sauce, and they proceeded to destroy the place. Twenty-five thousand dollars worth of damage. And if I looked at that, I'm thinking this just goes along with the chaos of our society, and. We all know what's happening. If you, if you watch the news or you don't watch the news, you do know that we are living in a different world and a different time. And it seems like things have changed rather quickly. And why do we have this change in society? Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, the fall of man is still prevalent in our society. But what is going on around us? Uh, the big thing is the abortion issue. Now we have pride months continual protests, social justice, the woke movement, um, and, and I'm sure everybody's aware with that, that has infiltrated our society and has changed companies, sports franchises, and even churches and seminaries have fallen prey to this woke philosophy. I won't explain that in any. Does it seem like society has gone off the rail? But as I thought about these things and as you ponder in your own heart and what we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is still on the throne. And we talk at home, and I talk to the boys and, and miss about, I look at how God is a master chess player, divinely manipulating the chessboard of history. Nothing happens without his knowledge. And I take great comfort in that. So having thought about those things, I thought, what can I speak on this week? So I'm going to talk about the, some of the doxologies in Scripture, going back 5,000 years, maybe further than that, how men view God and how we should view God. I'm going to do some Old Testament, New Testament doxologies to start with, and then I want to try to end up on the second part of the lesson in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, when we get to that point, it's, it's not going to be, you're not going to get any new answers from me. If you want to know who the 24 elders are, the four living beasts or living creatures, you'll have to ask Dave. We'll, we'll give that to him at a, at a later date. But we want to look at just some magnificent things of the glory of God. And I, I'm going to give you a little secret. How did I find all these doxologies? I Googled it. And... My boys will laugh, believe it or not, I was able to find something online. There's many, many, and do your own research. And uh, I was going to go through eight of them this morning, but in respect of time, I'll probably do uh, four or five. Um, 
the, the eight I chose are 1 Chronicles 29, Psalm 72, Psalms 150, Isaiah 6, Romans 11, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 6, and in Jude 24 and 25. And like I said, out of respect to time, I'm going to pick about, I think, four that I'm going to go through. So if you want to go to Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. This is a doxology of David. By the way, a doxology is a, uh, a simple, sometimes it's musical, sometimes it's spoken, and it's a praise, a praise to our Lord. Uh, there's occasions at our house before we eat dinner, when everybody's gathered together, which at this point is very seldom, we would sing the doxology uh, before we had, uh, we would pray and then sing the doxology together. And everybody's very familiar with the one that we sing here at church. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 13, it reads, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before the congregation. And David said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thou, O Lord, the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty... <clears throat> For all that is in heaven and all that is in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come as thee, and thou reigneth over all. And then thy hand is power and might. And then thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and we praise thy glorious name. Isn't it incredible how David was able to give these wonderful words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? How do these things still affect us today? And we look at the greatness of our God, the power, the majesty, the victory, the honor, the riches. Everything belongs to God. And if we look at our world around us again, as it seems, my goodness, is this even possible that it's happening? Let us be reminded that we change, but we have a God who never changes. Praise be to God. This was an ins- this for this reason for David's praise was he asked that children of Israel would bring money for the building of Solomon's temple, and uh, and they did. They uh, they brought a lot of money. I think in today's, I, I tried to look at the the pound versus the dollar. It might have been in a neighborhood of $110 million in gold and silver and precious jewels that they brought uh, for the building of Solomon's temple. That did not include some of the other things, artifacts that people donated. So this is David's response to not only the people of Israel giving, but God opening the hearts and the pocketbooks of the people of Israel. What would happen if at Bible Chapel, if uh, something like that was asked of us? And... um, be interesting to see. Our next one is Psalms uh, 150. By the way, Psalm 72, uh, a doxology of Solomon. I'm not meaning to neglect. You can look at that yourself. Uh, it talks about dominion, praise, everlasting. Um, just some wonderful things to describe our great God. Psalms 150, if you could find your way there. 
that's the last chapter in the book of Psalms. Don't really know who wrote this, uh, just a general doxology. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his ferment of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of trumpet. Praise him with the sound of psaltery and harp. Praise him with the, with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and with flutes. Praise him above the loud cymbals. Praise him above the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And I remember when I was in youth group, we would sing a, a song. One half of the group would say, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. The other half would respond, Praise ye the Lord. Didn't seem like that was very deep in theology, but looking back on it now, it was very deep in, in theology. A very simple song that reminds us of our responsibility to praise our Lord. Notice all the instruments that were played in the, uh, in the praising of God in the sanctuary. The next one will be Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> By the way, I also picked Isaiah 6, and we may go back there when I, when I get to uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And uh, hopefully everybody's pretty familiar with uh, Isaiah 6. But let's go to Romans chapter 33. I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. See what Paul has to say. This, these wonderful doxologies. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has first given to him? It shall be recompense unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. As we look through these verses, especially the last one, 36, for of him and through him and to him, can anybody else think of any verses that kind of talks about that very theme? I'm thinking that anybody, I'm thinking in John, all things are created through him and by him, and also in Colossians, um, but these great great doxologies, and Paul, and we've talked about this many times, how do you even begin to think about our God? Unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, and um, it's an incredible thing to think about in the society we live today. People aren't thinking about the judgments of God. Yes. That's just wonderful words uh, as a reminder for us. And as, as I studied this week, boy, it, would, it, it took my attention. Um, and I, I talked to Kevin on occasions when we used the verse, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe I speak for everybody, but for myself, 
really, really get caught up in what's happening around us and in the world. And again, there's nothing new under the sun. Stuff that's taking place now has taken place, you know, for, for millenniums. But let us be reminded of our great God and these doxologies. Wisdom, knowledge, unsearchable are things. Through him and to him are all things. John 1, verses 3 and 4, and Colossians uh, 1, 15, uh, 15 through 17. Those are the ones I wrote down for my, for my references. And just again, for the sake of time, we won't look at all those. Another one I want to look at is 1 Timothy, verses, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. And a lot of these uh, doxologies that are, that are mentioned here are songs that have been written about. And this one is, is no doubt part of that. Um, one seventeen, it says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Immortal, invisible, um, God only wise. Can any, what's the song that we sing that is probably an influence from this verse? It's called Immortal Invisible. Yeah, God only wise. Um, several of the doxologies that are in Scripture have songs written about them. And um, for whatever reason, these things come to my mind when I'm, when I'm doing some study. I'm not exactly a, a music guy, but I love hymns. I love the old hymns. Something else you can look at is, uh, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Paul, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has a wonderful way of using these words for doxology. Who only has immortality. Dwelling in the light, excuse me, let me restart at verse 15, which in, which in his times he shall show who was the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor no man can see, to him be honor, glory, and power, and everlasting amen. Interesting that no man has seen or can see. Uh, we go to the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5. John is, is uh, given this opportunity or taken into heaven with a vision. He did not see the living God. No man can look on God and, and, and live. But in, in some respects, he was able to see what was going on in heaven. And uh, absolutely marvelous. And then my last one, is Jude 24 and 25. What was significant about Jude, the, the person himself? Who was he? The brother of Christ. Yeah. And um, I can't imagine writing these nice things about my brother. Um, but Jude... <laughs> So don't expect it. And Ty, you can write some nice things about Bryce. Jude 24 and 25, another wonderful doxology. Now unto him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. 
to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. We don't know at what point in Jude's life that he was given eyes to see and ears to hear, but at some point he was. And my only comment about that doxology is um, Luke, uh, or excuse me, Jude got it. He understood. My second part, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. By the way, if uh, there's multiple, I think, uh, two different Googles. I found one that was 28 different doxologies. Another one had 25 to 30. So um, if you're looking for something to do, it's kind of fun. And I'm going to have... Uh, Two of my boys, Bryce, which one are you reading? Uh, five. Ty, would you stand and read Revelation chapter 4, please? Thank you. And Bryce, will you stand and read verse or chapter 5, please?
not going to give you any new insight this morning on what's taken place. I'm going to try to get us to pause and look at one important thing and what it revolves around. I listened to and read some commentators this week just from my own curiosity about the 24 elders and the, the uh, living four living creatures. And one commentator had 13 different interpretations of the 24 elders. And uh, you, you, we, we can't even begin to try to make sense out of these very difficult things. And the four living creatures, who are they? What do they represent? I think we have a good idea. But my point this morning is not to try to explain all that because I would get myself in a lot of problems. I went to a church one time and just how people look at Revelation. And I think we get sidetracked sometime of trying to understand the things that God just didn't give us the ability to understand. These mysteries of Scripture that are talked about in other places. And this, I sat next to this lady who I've known forever, and I haven't seen her for a couple of years. And her first comment to me was, what do you think about the 144,000 uh, in, in the book of Revelation? And I just said to her, I said, what do you think about W imputation? End of conversation. I think sometimes we get caught up in these, these silly things about, not that there, I'm, I, didn't, I didn't mean silliness, but I think there's more important things to look at in the book of Revelation, especially here in chapters 4 and 5. At some point, we'll understand who the four uh, living creatures are and the 24 elders. Uh, we're all going to die and stand before the judgment seat. We'll, we'll know then. Um, by the way, I do know who the Antichrist is. And you can talk to me afterwards. When Brother Keith passed away, before he did, he, he whispered in my ear who it was. He would love this. Um, remember Dr. Keith as he's sitting here? And uh, especially when it comes to uh, eschatology and end times, he was very excited. But what I want to speak about in the last, these two chapters, is what's really important. There's 14 doxologies in the book of Revelation itself. Um, we see God high and mighty and lifted up. And by the way, reading through all this, I don't think we can even imagine. Um, what's taking place. I looked at a couple of man-made videos uh, last night, in fact, and, and, and what their view of the throne room was. And uh, it just, it, it's, again, you just have to use your imagination. I don't think we can even begin to understand these unsearchable things. And here we have John in verse 1. It says he was um, taken into heaven and there was an open door. And immediately, in verse 2, there was a throne set in heaven. That, that's going to be what I want to speak on for the rest of the morning, is what I think is the most important thing in the book of Revelation, and that is the throne of the Father and then the Son and the Holy Spirit. One thing we know about Revelation and all the difficulties of interpretation and all the and as we look here with the, 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 uh, the seven burning lamps and then the lamb with seven eyes and representing the, the spirit, the spirit of God. One thing we know, Christ has won the victory. So we can look now and say that we already know how this game is going to end. 
So, but it is some kind of some fun things that the uh, that John has given us to look at and try to understand. In verses one through eleven, the word throne is mentioned twelve times, and that is the throne of of, of God. There's two other times where thrones is used, as if you can look it for yourself, and that's where the uh, the twenty four elders are sitting on. It's phenomenal that this is used so many times. There's no mistake of what we're supposed to look at in these, in these uh, especially in chapter 4 and some of the, the coming events. 38 times in the book of Revelation, uh, the word throne is used. I think just in the whole New Testament itself, it's over 50 times. And 38 of these times, 38 times is mentioned in the book of Revelation. So that's to draw our attention. That's very, very important that we understand what we're looking at here. It's the throne of God. Some characters in this um, in this chapter is, is obviously John himself. Um, interesting, a talking trumpet. Uh, Twenty-four elders dressed <clears throat> dressed in white with white crowns, and the four living creatures. And what's their responsibility? They're all giving praise to Him that sitteth on the throne. Everything revolves around the throne. Him who sitteth on the throne, there's people, there's uh, these elders around the throne. We'll see the Lamb who is in the throne. Uh, everything revolves around the throne of God. The first doxology is in verse eight, and I'll read. And the four living creatures, each had with them six wings about him, about him, and they were full of eyes within. And the rest not, and they do not rest day and night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who is and is to come." I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine that scene and what's going on there. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to take what he sees and try to dictate and pen. Parchment, what that we could have some understanding of what's happening here, and you see the focus is upon the throne of God, holy, holy, holy. Of course, we have a song that's made of that uh, of those uh, three. You know, all the things that describe God. This attribute alone, at least I believe, <clears throat> there's one other place. This attribute alone is, is, is given three times. And his majesty, his, uh, his omnipotence, all-powerful, all-knowing, but then it's holy, holy, holy. What other place in Scripture do we find this reference in the Old Testament? Isaiah chapter 6, I believe it's verse 3. Uh, can you imagine Isaiah um, seeing God high and mighty, and lifted up, and the angels singing, holy, 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 day and night, forever and ever, whatever day and night is in heaven, it's just constant, constant praise. Someone is constantly praising our God. What a reminder to us. And we all go through difficulties, and some have gone through more difficulties than others in here. And it's easy for me to say, you know, look to our God, and I know you do, but what a wonderful testimony that these men have given us as their view of God, 
how more should we living on this earth try to look above some of the things that are happening in our lives around us and focus on the throne. And a very, uh, like again, we're going to win in the end. The throne is the centerpiece of these verses, and he who sits upon the throne. And um, my second doxology in, in chapter uh, 4 is verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure there were created. And I think that's part of the uh, handles Messiah. Uh, uh, worthy is the lamb, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but thou art worthy. Again, the constant echo of, of these individuals, or excuse me, the 24 elders in this ver- these ch- verses is the, the four living creatures. It's a constant praise of the one who sits upon the throne. And let us be a reminder to us that that, that should be us as well. Never forget who is, uh, who is on the throne. He is worthy. And in these verses, two groups start praising the one who sits upon the throne. And that is the 24 elders and then the, the four living creatures. And then as we uh, move to chapter 5, we see there's an increase of praise and worship to those who sit upon the throne. And as we look at chapter 5, I want to read a verse in Matthew 28. And it's verse 18, if I can find it here quickly. I didn't mark it. apologize. This is when Christ was going back into heaven. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then go ye therefore and teach all nations. I think that's very important as we go forward here in Revelation chapter 5 where Christ says, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Verse 1 And I saw on the right hand of him that sits upon the throne a scroll written within on the back and the front. And there were seven seals. I'm not going to tell you about the scrolls or seven seals. Um, I have my ideas, but I don't think that's important at this point. Verse 2 is important. And I saw a strong angel. I don't know who that strong angel was. Claiming with a loud voice, and this word loud voice is used 20 other times in the book of Revelation. And I've been accused in my house of not being able to whisper. I have a loud voice, but I can't imagine the loud voice or the loud noises that is proceeding from these individuals who are praising God. And just a, it's a constant... And sometimes it's a song, and sometimes they're just words that just echo. It's in constant beat. Glory, power, honor, praise. Glory, power, honor, praise. Constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It never ceases. Sometimes in song, sometimes just in repetitions of words. Verse 3, no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither to look at it. 
And then John says, I wept much because no man was worthy to open and read the scroll. You have the appearance of a, of a strong angel who was worthy to open the scrolls, no one in heaven and earth. And it says John keeps on crying. He's wailing. And then one of the 24 elders tells him, stop your crying, John. In verse 4, or excuse me, in verse 5, one of the elders said unto him, quit crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the scroll and loose it seven seals. I think this is of a most important verse where we see that the lamb has been introduced as a, a lion, and we see he's also a lamb. In the book of Revelation, this is the only time that Christ is referred to as a lion. Uh, there's other times in the, in 27 other times in the book of Revelation, or thereabouts, he's referred to as the lamb. And, and, and in Revelation 13, 8, we see uh, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Verse 5 through 7, and verse 6 in particular, it's, uh, John says, uh, In the midst of the elder stood a lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes. You can let that go through your mind and your imagination and, and uh, what that even looks like. I don't know. But what's important in that verse is there stood a lamb as if he had been slain. And some other time here in the, in the past, somebody's going to study Revelation. I made a footnote in my Bible where you see this lamb as, as if he were in, been slain. He's, he's not slain because Christ liveth forevermore. It's a bloody scene. And as I was thinking about that, I said, that is for the believer, that's good news. That's good news. This bloody lamb who was, as if he said his throat cut, is alive before the throne. How I forget that sometimes as I go through my life in trying to do things on my own and figuring out what's going on in the world around me. And it's not about me. It's not about anything that happens in our lives. It's about what Christ has done for us. And these wonderful words, he hath prevailed. He has triumphed. He won the victory. And him and him alone can open up the scroll. Again, I repeat that this is the only time in Revelation, the Christ is called the lion. The other, many other times, he's referred to as the lamb. And I, I don't know why some say uh, he's the, the lion out of the, the stem of Jesse, that's in Isaiah, um, some other places as well. But he came the first time as the lamb, as John says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Stop, ponder, look, there he is. He came as a lamb the first time. The second time he's coming back, when he does come back, maybe as a lion. Maybe that's the picture. I don't know. I believe that that could possibly be it. We see this horrific scene, but a beautiful scene simultaneously. The lamb in the center of the throne, 
with 24 elders and living creatures, and the lamb looked as if he was slain. And this is beautiful, I think, and this is what I learned this week from Matthew 28, 18, where Christ says, I've been given all authority. It's been given to me in heaven and in earth. And this is the beautiful verse. And it says uh, in verse 7, and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. Wow. If you're a believer, that's good news. That's a great scene because Christ does have all authority. And from that point, the Father, in some respects, transfers authority to the Son alone, who is worthy to open the scrolls. And all of, all of time is now going to be revealed, and Christ alone will be worthy to open the scrolls and look at what's going to happen. And as John was told in, the, in one or, um, verse 1 early on, Come up here and I will show you these things that will happen hereafter. So from that point of time to the end of, uh, the end of time, Christ is in complete control. Other things here, I see the seven horns, the seven eyes, the seven spirits of God. Uh, that's for further discussion. But I am so thankful there is one who has prevailed. And God has given us his son slain before the foundation of the world to be the only one to answer the call who was worthy. And then verses 8 through 10, there's another doxology. And when, it was, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, And they sang a new song, Thou art worthy to take the scrolls and open its seals, and thou wast slain and hath redeemed us. To God, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hath made unto us our God a kingdom of priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's good news. If you know Christ this morning... That's fantastic news. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's bad news. That's bad news. And we see what's taken place here is we've added to the uh, the choir, the 24 elders, and the and the uh, the four living creatures. They say worthy, who was slain, and out of every kindred and tribe and tongue of people, God has redeemed us through Christ. And that's good news because that's everybody in here. As far as I know, I don't, I don't know if there's any you know, Jewish people or not, but we are the other nations, the other tongues. We are the Gentiles. We are the other group that, that Christ says, I came into my own, my own received me not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power and to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. And that's us. We are among that tribe of people and other nations. And God has redeemed us through the blood of Christ. He's purchased us and give us, given us a new title. 
And what does it say? We are king, we are priest, and we shall reign on the earth. That's another one difficult. I don't understand that. I don't know when that's going to take place, but I'm only going to read the context is we will reign on the earth. And then the fourth doxology is, I'm going to stop with this one. And behold, I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne of the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, the lamb slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I'll, I'll read the verses um, 13 as well. And, and every creature that was in heaven and on earth under the sea and such that are in the sea and all that are in, in them are heard saying, Blessing, honor, glory, power unto him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We started out in verse uh, chapter 4 with the 24 elders and the living creatures. And we end up here in chapter 5 at the end of the verse. Every creature under heaven and earth saying, Blessing, honor, glory, power unto him who sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I'm done. Thank you, folks, for your attention.